It's Super Bowl Sunday, and your pal Sully is recording a baseball podcast. But guess what? You're listening to that podcast, too. What podcast are you listening to? You're listening to Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Super Bowl Sunday, everybody, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, well, just look at my lower third. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's right there. Feel free to call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for the last 10 years or so, and I've been here at the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day for the last five seasons, beginning my fifth season here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. As you can tell from below, I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. So I am recording this from a classroom at the American Film Institute. Uh, my son is actually acting in a movie that's being shot here, and I'm here bringing my son here, and eventually I'll bring him back. It is, as I'm recording this, on the 12th day of February, 2023. It is roughly an hour before kickoff of the Super Bowl. Uh, it shows you how important the Super Bowl is to me that I'm in a classroom at AFI instead of at a Super Bowl party or anything like that. Look, at, I'm not going to badmouth. I, I hate it when people who are a fan of one sport trash another sport. Golf is stupid. I hate soccer. Football is dumb. Baseball is boring. Every sport's cool when it's your sport. Every sport is great when you're around people who are enthusiasts of that sport. If you don't believe me, what happens when you watch the Olympics? When you watch someone doing hurdles or curling or skiing and you see people who are really good at it and people who are really intense about it and people who really love that particular sport, doesn't it become infectious? What do you, I mean, I doubt any of you are in the curling fantasy league or watch hurdles if it's not the olympic time but don't you get into it whenever you're around people who love a sport one of the most fun sporting events i ever went to in my life was the u.s open tennis tournament in queens i went with my friend steven and angie who were both diehard tennis fans and they invited me to come with them i i can't tell you how much fun i had going from court to court seeing the different games being played the intensity of it. I, I couldn't tell you anything about Dennis. Anything. And yet, I was absolutely enthralled by it. So for football fans, this is your day. This is this is it. And so I'm not going to trash it. Even though football is not my sport, I don't really have a, a, you know, a dog in the race or a bird in the race or a chief in the race. Um, it, I, I do find it, you know, it's it's... Mid-February, day after tomorrow is freaking Valentine's Day. 
pitchers and catchers reporting in a matter of days, which is my Christmas Eve. But, you know, people get on the World Series about being played too late, and I agree it is. The World Series shouldn't be played in November. You know, November is not baseball time. November is not, you know, it should be, I've said this before, I said it on the Stacey Katsoulias episode, I have no problem with shortening the Major League Baseball season and having the play, especially because we have more teams in the playoffs. Therefore, the the gauntlet of a 162-game season is a little bit of overkill if someone can be eliminated in two games right up the front. So I think if you shorten the schedule, have the playoffs play predominantly in September, the World Series play the first week, of October, it would make a little more sense. The same way, mid-February, football? Football is a fall sport that wraps up around Christmas time and New Year's. You know, the Super Bowl always is a little bit different. January January is the time for the football playoffs. We're midway through February, for goodness sakes. Day after tomorrow will be the halfway mark of this month. It's It's a little bit. I think it's a little bit of overkill. It's a little bit ridiculous. Hey, um, Miller Thomas, who's usually on my show on Mondays, we are going to record tomorrow. I'm sure he's having a big Super Bowl party somewhere in Arizona right now. We had a little bit of a disagreement the other week, and as we tend to from time to time, um, where uh, we were in a disagreement about whether or not a championship in one sport can take the pressure of the fan base, maybe not the team, but the fan base with a victory in another, with another team, if you're a regional fan. Um, and this is coming from someone who's not really paying attention to the Super Bowl. I don't really have a pick. I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Kansas City because my cousin James is a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. But I also have a lot of cousins from Philadelphia. Both teams have won Super Bowls recently, so it's not going to be a generational event. That's one reason I was I was hoping Buffalo would win. I know what that would mean for Buffalo fans, including my friends Patrick and Lolly, who are you know from born and raised in Buffalo, would be happy for them. Um, you know, the Chiefs have won a Super Bowl recently. The Eagles have won a Super Bowl recently, so this is just resume padding at this point. Um, and so I, you know, it's it's not going to it's not going to you know, relieve that itch for that fan base. Um, but I don't really have a, I don't really have intense loyalty to any other team. I do like the Celtics. I would like to see the Celtics win. Uh, you know, I don't care about the Patriots. If I have a hockey team, it's the San Jose Sharks, but I don't really, I'm not a huge Sharks fan. I'm, I'm, and I've become more of a baseball fan than a traditional Red Sox fan. I'm certainly not a regional New England fan anymore. But I do think for the people who are regional fans. In other words, they're from this area, they root for all the teams there. Whether it's casual or not, having that championship from another team takes some of the pressure off as a fan base off of one of the other franchises. As a kid, as a diehard Red Sox fan living in New England, the years where the Celtics won the championship took a little bit, not all the sting, obviously, but a little bit of the sting off the Red Sox losses because at least one of my teams was winning. You know, you can't look me in the eye and see the, the people of Seattle or the people of Cleveland, two cities that were just 
thirsty, out of their mind thirsty for a championship of any kind. You know, the Mariners still have never made it to the World Series. They lost the Supersonics to um, uh, Oklahoma City. They hadn't had the NHL expanded and out of the Kraken. And there was no championship won by any Seattle team since the Supersonics of the late 70s. And for Cleveland, you had to go back to the 60s with Jim Brown's um, uh, Cleveland Browns. But, you know, the Cavaliers always got punched in the face. The Indians, which what they were called then, kept losing all these, um, these heartbreaking games. So when the Seattle, Sup- uh, Seattle Seahawks won in the middle of the 2010s and the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron came from behind to defeat the Golden State Warriors, I do think that as Seattle fans and Cleveland fans, it took a little bit of the air out of the balloon. I think that if the Cavaliers lost four straight NBA titles to the Golden State Warriors, and remember, they were minutes away from that happening, and then that same year, Cleveland blows a three-game-to-one lead to the Chicago Cubs, and lose a Game 7 of the World Series where they were one swing away from winning in both the ninth and the 10th inning. I think the city of Cleveland would be having an existential crisis right now. Instead, yes, Cleveland baseball fans are exhausted from the losing. They lost yet another do-or-die game this year to the New York Yankees. But... Having at least one chance of relief is, quite frankly, uh, helpful as a fan. You, know, you don't think about New York as, you know, be long-suffering New York fans because there's this imagery of New York being able to buy championships and winning left and right. But, you know, the Yankees haven't been in a World Series since 2009, the last major championship, and I'm sorry, I'm sure we can point out other leagues. We're just going to go with the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. Those four, um, in the last decade, in fact, it's been more than a decade since there's been any New York team winning in any of those. It was, I think, 20, 2010 or 2011 with the Giants won against New England, and that's been it. The Rangers made the Stanley Cup Finals. The Devils have made the Stanley Cup Finals, and neither one have won. Forget the NBA Finals. There's been none of that this century for the Knicks. And the Nets in New Jersey made it a couple times in the early part of the century, but not since then. The Mets lost a World Series. The Jets aren't even aware they're allowed to play in a Super Bowl. The Islanders are still technically there. And so if you are some combination of New York fan, if you're a Jet, Met, any basketball team, an Islander fan, or at this point, Ranger fan, forget it. You're miserable. You've gone generations without seeing a championship. So you're trying to tell me if you're a fan of one of those teams, <coughs> excuse me, and like if you're all those teams and the Mets won or the Jets won or the, Ra- or the Rangers or whomever, that would take a little bit of the air out of the balloon. So this is a big night for... Philadelphia fans and Kansas City fans, both who have had championships in the NFL recently. And in the last decade, Kansas City has had the Royals win the World Series and the Chiefs win the uh, Super Bowl. So this is a watershed moment for Kansas City fans. 
And for Philadelphia fans who won the Super Bowl a few years ago and saw their team make a surprise run to the World Series last year, oh, the getting is good in Philly. And I'm going to take a quick peek at those two teams as we go for the next segment to take a look and say, hey, are any of these teams going to add to the Super Bowl euphoria? But first and foremost, I got to say, it is an absolute perfect time to be a sports fan and rooting and betting, especially if you subscribe to FanDuel. FanDuel is our new partner for online betting. And if you've been betting on the Super Bowl, and who hasn't been, let me tell you something, FanDuel is America's number one sports book. We're excited about this partner. They're the, they're the best, easiest to follow. And if you're new to FanDuel, it's even better. They've got so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel today, and you can get a no-sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line spread to point spreads to, hey, if you're going to be betting today, who will score a touchdown? The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. And best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on the Super Bowl. Better be quick to bet on that one. Or just join FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, which is the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Obviously, things look very, very good for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies won the pennant last year. And remember, they were up 2-1 against Houston. Then they got no hit in the combined no-hitter started by Christian Javier. By the way... A very good move by the Houston Astros to sign Christian Javier to a long-term deal. They're going to have Fran Bervaldez or Christian Javier. They've got very good people in that rotation. Houston's going to be the team to beat for a couple of years, and they just seem very smart and hoping to put the all the controversy of what happened. They'll never put it behind them. It's not, it's not their place to put behind them. But... Clearly, they're making a run to keep piling up the championships and in some ways making it a moot point. Now, what kind of team are they going to be looking at next year? By adding Trey Turner, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies added Trey Turner. The Philadelphia Phillies are, you know, obviously Bryce Harper has his injury issues there and they've made some moves that may or may not be great. It's, it's kind of hard to figure out uh, you know, what to make about some of these, uh, some of the moves that the Philadelphia Phillies made in this offseason. They've had a very busy offseason. Turner, Turner is a gigantic move. I mean, he's who they wanted from the beginning. They went out, they signed him. Uh, you can make the argument he's the best shortstop in baseball right now. And what they did with the, the pitchers, because they needed a little bit of pitching depth to go between now and wanting to add two more wins to their total, i.e. to win the World Series title. Taiwan Walker, Matt Stram, Gregory Soto from Detroit, Craig Kimbrell. You know, almost all of those are coin tosses. Some of them may be DFA'd by the 4th of July. 
But do you know what it is? And this is one of the things that I do like about what um, Dave Dombrowski sometimes does when he's running a team. Sometimes what he does is he will just throw spaghetti at the wall. Let's just get a bunch of people. Everyone I just mentioned there, Strom, Kimbrell, Taiwan Walker, all of them are major league pitchers. Now, some of them may be done. And we can see how quickly major league pitchers can see their career go away. But not all of them are going to be done. Not all of them are going to stink. Not all of them are going to be a disaster. And maybe, I don't know, follow this under maybe, one or two of them will do okay. And there is something to be said about finding quantity and quality simultaneously. I keep going back to the Boston Strong team, which I have a very hard time scratching my nose, a very hard time wrapping my arms around the fact that that was 10 years ago. But the Red Sox just signed a bunch of players and just keep, some of them worked, some of them didn't. Get them out. When Dombrowski was running the Red Sox, did the same sort of thing. Same sort of thing with the Tigers. The one thing he didn't do successfully with the Tigers is cobble together a bullpen. They probably would have won a World Series title if he had done that, certainly in 2013. But he knows they need to fill in holes. He knows that they have the Zach Wheelers and some of the pitchers who are already lined up. You know, the Sarantini and all of them are, are going to be fine. But they just need some of that depth. Well, let's find them. Bring them in. Bring them in. Throw that net out and bring them in. And maybe, just maybe, one of them will, you know, every single year, every single year, there is a pitcher that just catches everyone off guard. Every single year, there is someone that you look at and you go like, oh, wow, I, 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 I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. Now, sometimes it's a superstar who's coming back from an injury. Remember, Justin Verlander pitched, he won the signing award in 2019. He pitched one game between 2020 and 2021 and came back and won another Cy Young Award this last year. He pitched one more game than me between Cy Young Awards. But like, look at Dylan Cease. Who had Dylan Cease down as a Cy Young contender last year? Seriously. You know, I mean, you Darvish just signed a big long-term extension, but he had some down years along the way too. Sometimes you, you, know, you push your chips to the center of the table and you say, okay, let's take a shot. Let's take a shot, and maybe it will work. You know, let's go back to 2021. In 2021, in that Cy Young votes, third was Lance Lynn. The leader was Robbie Ray. Who had them on the short list? Nobody. A grand total of nobody did. So sometimes what you have to do, not that I'm predicting any of them are going to be Cy Young contenders, you take a shot. Say, here's a major leaguer. And let's see them go do it. I trust any team run by Dave Dombrowski because he has that, we're here to win a championship this year, not down the road this year. If it means trading away young players, fine. He knows that most young players don't amount to piddly-poo. Who would you rather have on your team? Someone with major league experience, i.e. someone who has made it to the show shown that they can be a good pitcher. Tywin Walker certainly has. Craig Kimbrell certainly has. Have they had down years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is Craig Kimbrell done? Maybe. 
maybe, or maybe he's got one more good year in him. And maybe you're not asking him to be the closer. Maybe you're not asking him to be the lockdown guy. Not the locked on guy. I'm the locked on guy. But if the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and by the time you're watching this, you'll probably know who are, that who's won what. And, I, you know, it doesn't matter at this point for me. If the Eagles win the Super Bowl and the Phillies have a team where they're building upon the confidence of getting to within two wins of winning it all last year, granted, in a stacked division, the Mets had probably the best offseason. The Braves are a fantastic team that has their team locked up for the next bunch of years. And, lest we forget, the all-pitch, no-hit Marlins just added the American League batting champion. So uh, the Marlins aren't exactly going to be pushovers in that division. There's only one pushover, and that's Washington. Because most of the good players for that Washington team are currently playing for the Phillies. I digress. Fact of the matter is, I like what the Phillies are doing. They had a good offseason in terms of they got the main thing they needed. They had a hole at shortstop. This is the Dombrowski way. Oh, we have a hole at shortstop? Well, why don't we get the best available shortstop? They weren't, you know, Philly farting around with Isaiah kind of Falefa or trying to see if they can lowball Xander Bogarts or playing around with the uh, medical reports of Carlos Rodon. We want Turner. We got Turner. Thank you. I think he was signed in November, which was way too long ago when you consider they're playing a football game in an hour. As for the Kansas City Royals, um, I, I think you'd have to be the, the seeing through complete Royals colored glasses to think they have a shot this year. And the only thing, well, there, there's, there's, there's a couple things going for the Royals. First of all, they play in the American League Central where Cleveland looks like the team to beat, but the White Sox look like the team beat last year. Cleveland's a young team who had a wonderful year last year. But if they had a mediocre September, in other words, one bad month, which was mediocre, if that had happened, they probably would have missed the playoffs or the Twins probably would have made the playoffs or something like that. There is no super team on there. And it is not unreasonable to think that a super young team like the Cleveland Guardians could regress. I think they're going to be a good team. And I think that the Twins are going to be good. I think the White Sox have put a bazooka to their foot and fired it. I don't think the Tigers are... Well, the Tigers were expected to improve last year. Remember, they didn't. So what if their improvement took place this year? Either way, with the Kansas City Royals, you can take a look at the fact they have a couple of foundational pieces. Bobby Witt Jr. was you know, a, a, a good, solid player on the team last year. Was he the rookie of the year? No, because his name wasn't Julio Rodriguez. But he had a good year. He had power. He had speed. He was a good shortstop. He was what they wanted to have there. They also brought back um, uh, Zach Grinke. Is Zach Grinke the all-star Cy Young Award winner that he was before? No, but it's always good to have a major leaguer or two on that squad. And then you take a look, and they have a farm system that is filled with former college stars. In other words, they've just, in the last bunch of years in the draft and everything like that, they've been drafting college hitters, probably with a mindset of, 
hey, we want to win pretty soon. So let's get people who are pretty close to being in the major league level. Uh, Nick Lofton was drafted as a uh, infielder, and they wisely moved to the outfield. Uh, Gavin Cross, who was a you know one of the top picks in last year's draft, is and is you know another outfielder, another good solid hitter. Caden uh, Wallace was another first round pick from last year, and he is a third baseman with power and everything they need from there. I mean, you take a look at the Kansas City Royals, what they're trying to do. It seems to me what they're trying to do is bide their time right now. Take a look at what they got. And with a little bit of pressure taken off from the success of the Chiefs, they have a fan base that probably doesn't want to see another 100-loss season, to be sure. But they can point to us, hey, we got guys who are brewing here. And the last time they had a crop of players like that, who were brewing and, and, you know, foaming at the mouth to come up there were the Moustakas and the Alex Gordons and the Lorenzo Canes and the Salvador Perez's of the world who became the foundation of the team that won back-to-back pennants and won the World Series in 2015. It's a bad, bad year since winning the World Series in 2015, but it looks like they did some of the stuff they didn't let to, they, they didn't, fall prey to the, uh, for the lack of a better word, sentimental bug too hard. Instead, they took a look at their team. They saw what they had. They saw what they weren't. And they kind of were sort of honest with the, with the fan base. And it would not surprise me, especially in this division, that looking up and saying, hey, we're going to be a team with young players who are going to come up and in a year or so, in a year or so like right now, they could look up and find themselves to be not far from a title. And they also have a player on that team who could be the answer of a question that I received from my own cousin that intrigued me. But as for basically tiding over the Royals fans' appetite for a championship, that they don't want to be spoiled. Well, I know something they can eat if they're hungry, but don't want to spoil themselves. And that would be a built bar. Look it. You got to try a built bar. We're right now approaching the middle of February. Okay. Some of you are going to be pigging out at Super Bowl parties. And day after tomorrow, it's going to be Valentine's Day, which means the day after Valentine's Day, there's going to be tons of chocolate all over the workplace. It's a bunch of nonsense, if you ask me. Now, if you want to keep to your New Year's resolution, try the Built Bar, which is healthy and tasty. They're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you, but they're perfect for your New Year's resolution or maybe to give to your Valentine. What makes Built Bars so good? For starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, you heard me, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond, I'm not sure how Built Bar does it, but these bars taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better that they're healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait to get the box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. And you can still do that. But now you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. 
walk to the pharmacy and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box, or double chocolate, coconut puffs, cookies and cream, or if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab the 13-bar box with hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You can thank me later. And you can thank me later for leading you on to go to Built.com or all the places I just mentioned and sing that song with me. Built Bars, they're still good. Cousin Dave is a huge New York Mets fan. He is also a New York Knicks fan. He is also a New York Ranger fan. In other words, he's gone through a lot. He's also a New York Giant fan. So he actually roots for the one New York team that seems to find a way to win a championship every once in a while. He sent me an interesting text. Dave and I, he is my cousin, but he might as well be my brother. He's, I lived with Dave for a little bit. He's someone I talk to a lot. We text, I, I think we text every day. If we don't text every day, it's pretty close to it. And it's usually about baseball because that's, you know, we're both wired that way. Now he sent me something. Let's see if I can find it. Was it in here or was it just a regular text? He asked me, okay, do you think we'll ever see a day where we'll have a player manager again? I think that's a great question. Player managers used to be common in baseball. You, you know, it, it is what it sounds like. Lou Boudreau was the player manager of the 1948 World Series champion Cleveland Indians. Joe Torre was briefly a player manager for the Mets before he became the regular manager. You know, just just a manager manager. Pete Rose was a, a player manager for the Reds, and we all saw how that turned out. Now. It is an interesting concept. Would we have another player manager? Because in so many ways, there's been such a level of antagonism between players and the organization that the idea of a player being part of the organization, you know, being part of management seems almost counterproductive. In one way, the player manager seemed to be someone who was you know, who was a big star and that was a way to keep someone within the fold. But I think my cousin Dave brings up an interesting question because the role of the manager certainly has changed a little bit. The manager seems to be taking orders from the front office. The days of a manager managing in their own style, I mean, I suppose that they still exist. But it's not the norm anymore. The main element of a manager seems to be these days being able to be lock, stop, and lock, stock, and barrel, excuse me, with the front office and what they want. You've seen situations where a manager like Schilt of the St. Louis Cardinals be very successful at their job and then be fired and never get another gig again. The fact that Joe Madden is still filling out his LinkedIn page right now, trying to get a new job, shows you how strangely different the role of a manager is but with that in mind couldn't there be a player manager if the player's job if the manager's job is to be taking orders from the front office then maybe the idea of a high profile manager would seem out of place maybe a star player would be a decent manager and still be able to play if they're following 
the especially if they have a bench coach who could act as their lieutenant. Bruce Bochy has some lieutenants. Did I ever mention that? I bring that up because uh, we just did a thing talking about the building of the Kansas City Royals. Now, Salvador Perez, the star catcher for the Kansas City Royals, who was the MVP of the 2015 World Series, has a baseball IQ off the charts. He's a smart, smart baseball person who has been a tremendous catcher for the Royals over the years, has all the respect of the players and of the organization. And as they're trying to rebuild a team, maybe if there's ever been a candidate to be a player manager, it would be Salvador Perez to hand him the reins of the Royals even before he retires. And then if he does retire, he keeps on managing. No offense, Mike Matheny, but I would have a lot more confidence in Salvador Perez than that. You can go up and down with catchers. Catchers tend to be the smartest one. But two other names popped into my head as potential interesting candidates. First one was Joey Votto. Joey Votto with the Reds. He is the face of the Reds, even though he is no longer the superstar he once was. Super respected. Smart baseball man. And someone you want to keep in the fold with the Reds with his popularity with the team. That, to me, struck me as an interesting choice. Then came the one that I just couldn't get out of my mind. I, I, I honestly think Salvador Perez could be a player manager today. And if the Royals get off to a crummy start and Mike Matheny gets the heave and also the hoe, I would hand the reins to Salvador Perez. What, 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 what goes against that? But there is one other person who I look at is basically the captain of the team, the star of the team, the face of the team, who is a completely nondescript manager at the helm, and everything seems to go wrong with his team except his existence on it. Mike Trout. What would go wrong with Mike Trout as a manager? Seriously. How could it be worse than what's happening? You're showing commitment to Mike Trout. Trout signed to a long-term deal. Shohei Otani probably is a good a chance of re-signing with the Angels as I have with signing with the Angels. The Angels are a mess of an organization. They are tied with the Tigers for the longest playoff drought in Major League Baseball right now. And they've had a slew of losing seasons. Think about it. They have the best player on the planet and the most exciting talent on the planet in Shohei Otani, and they can't even put a mediocre team around him. It doesn't matter who they have as a manager. They brought in Joe freaking Madden, who could take the Rays to a World Series, who could win a World Series with the Cubs. I am now going to list the name of all the managers who have managed the Cubs to the World Series since 1946. Joe Madden. There you go. Then again, I'm now going to list all the Angels managers who have won a pennant with the Angels. Mike Sosha. So why not Trout? Seriously. They have Phil Nevin. Phil Nevin is keeping that seat warm. You know, when I talk about Bruce Bochy's lieutenants not getting a job, it's because, you know, freaking Joe, Joe Manning gets fired. Phil Nevin is keeping his seat warm. 
before he got the job as the manager of the Angels, the one thing Phil Nevin was ever remembered for in terms of his coaching ability was waving home the runner to get nailed at home plate during the wild card game between the Red Sox and the Yankees a few years ago that basically torpedoed the Yankees' season. So the only thing he knew going into was being a stupid third base coach. Better give him the reins of a baseball team in one of the biggest media markets in the world. Why not Mike Trout? Player manager Mike Trout. What are you, you're afraid they'll have a losing season? You're afraid they're going to miss the playoffs? He does everything else right. Why not give him a shot? You know, Votto, I kind of did, I don't know if tongue-in-cheek, but it, it was just another one popped in my head. I think Salvador Perez could be the manager of the Royals. Now, I, if you have a reason why Mike Trout shouldn't be a player manager of the Angels, just send it to me. If you don't, you know, send it to me here. I'll put my lower third back on. Send it to my Twitter account at Sully Baseball. Let me know why not. Let me know. Well, look at kickoff is coming in in about 20 minutes. And I'm talking about whether or not Mike Trout or Salvador Perez should be a player manager. That's the kind of baseball fan I am. And that's what I'm offering to you all. Some of you may not care at all about football. Some of you may not care at all about college basketball when it gets to be the Final Four pretty soon. That's who we are. We're here for you. I'm here for you four or five times a week during the offseason. And during the regular season, I'm going to be all over the place. And so I just want to, first of all, thank you for listening to us. Thanks so much for making us your first listen. Now, for your second listen, have that be Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Talking baseball as we get ready for the Super Bowl, and I'm here in a weird classroom at the American Film Institute. This has been Locked On MLB. For the 12th day of February, 2023, I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.